Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. I'm really, really excited to be bringing you guys the second interview on the podcast this week. And just as a little intro, if you're new to my podcast, you're very welcome. Um, and if you're not, then bear with me for a second. My name's Kira, and I'm a qualified medical doctor specializing in public health and I'm at the Irish Balance on social media. And my message really with my blog and this podcast is all about bringing a healthy balance to our busy lives. And this week's guest, I'm very excited to bring on because it's a topic that I haven't done on the podcast yet, and it is mental health. So this week's guest, who I'm going to let introduce himself, but it's Joe O'Brien, who runs at Headfirst on Instagram and now a podcast as well. And Joe shares absolutely brilliant evidence-based um, mental health-focused content. And the aim of his page really is about raising awareness and reducing stigma around mental health. And I think that's so important. So, Joe, welcome to the Irish Balance podcast and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you. It's great to bring such an important topic to the podcast. And I really wanted to bring someone on who I knew would bring a balanced evidence-based view. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. Good. Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you got started with Headfirst? And I know it's Headfirst Zero. I just feel like that's taken me long to say. (laughs) It's such such a pain to keep reiterating that it's Headfirst with a zero at the end. But what can you do? Headfirst was not available. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, um, so yeah, tell us about your background, how you got started and all of it. Um, so my background is obviously in psychology. I did an undergrad in psychology and I did a master's in health psychology. So health psychology would be the link between um, your, basically your physical, um, your physical health and your mental health and how both of them can kind of interact. At the, at the moment, I'm working with adults in uh, corporate mental health. So I work with a lot of stress management and um, working with mental health that presents in the workplace. Uh, I previously worked with teenagers and young people um, in both clinical and subclinical settings. So people with quite severe mental health issues and people with not quite so severe mental health issues. Um, and I did that both in the UK and in Ireland. So um, here I am. I set up uh, Head First because I wanted to be someone who was like a reliable source on social media, someone who could point people in the right direction if they're looking for mental health information, even if they're not suffering with mental health, to even just understand it better. Um, So kind of in terms of the understanding, I wanted to be both for people who struggle with their mental health and people who who don't, who just want to maybe understand for somebody else or just to better their own knowledge of it. And uh, that's where it came about, really. There's a bit of a strange story behind it um, that one of my friends was raising money for mental health awareness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was sitting at home thinking, you know, this guy's doing an incredible job. He, at the end of November, he raised three grand for men's mental health. And wow. I was sitting there going, you know, I, I actually do nothing in the mental health space, despite my education, my experience, and it's the career I'm in. And between that and talking to my manager about um, the state of mental health that's online and on social media, um, I decided to make the page. So that's where it all kind of came about. And it's been such a whirlwind since that. I haven't really got my feet I'm just trying to push out as much content as I have time for so uh that's that's where it all came from that's absolutely amazing I think that's so so incredible um it, it's just such a gap I mean I feel like when I came across your page I couldn't I just couldn't figure out why there hadn't been one already um and yes it was just oh just I just think it's brilliant what you're sharing um because I think I suppose I from my perspective I think the wellness trend has really taken off so much over the last few years and as a doctor, I'm not sure you're familiar with this as well, but like you see so many fads and despite yeah. all the talk about, yeah, like everywhere. <laughs> and I suppose they're mostly physical health based. And despite all the talk about, um, I suppose the fads I've seen are maybe like more diet related, but there's also been a lot of chat about stress management and mindfulness and meditation. But I do think that the more detailed conversations around mental health just haven't followed to the same degree. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You're talking about fads. Like, there's certainly mental health fads out there too. Um, you know, you often see headline articles, and they pop up with, "Oh, eat this one thing, and it will improve your mental health," or whatever. And there's just absolutely zero evidence behind a lot of what gets said in terms of the like clickbait sort of stuff. But people buy into it very quickly if it comes from even a semi-reliable source, like a half-decent newspaper or you know, a Twitter account that has a, thousands of followers or an Instagram that has a couple of hundred thousand followers, people buy into that very quickly and will immediately, not always, but a lot of the time will change their behavior based on one person that they might have some respect for um, just stating kind of one thing. Um, I saw a quote on Instagram today 
It was something along the lines of uh, make your mind stronger than your emotions or you'll lose every time. And the, oh seeing God. those things really irks me because it insinuates that if your mind's not strong enough, then you're susceptible to your emotions taking over. And that's just not the case at all. And the page that actually put that up had a million followers. And that 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 hurts me when I see it because the whole, you know, in, inspirational quotes and things like that, they, they throw things out there and it makes mental health seem very easy. Like it's very easy to just make your mind strong or whatever, you know, take control of your emotions. And even the ones that are kind of, even the ones that are kind of truthful. So you might see a lot about um, facing your fears and anxiety and it sounds great, you know, face your fears and anxiety will take a back seat or you won't experience your anxiety. The truth is, is that if you do like tackling anxiety is partly about facing your fears and it's, you know, probably one of the best, if not the best ways of tackling your anxiety. But a quote seems to insinuate that it's, that it's a one step thing that if you just face your fears one time, then it's over. Whereas mm. tackling mental health issues are, are a lot more substantial. Um, in terms of like the, the trends I see, um, I think there is an increase in awareness, but not an increase in understanding. And I'm not saying the awareness is fantastic. It certainly, certainly isn't. But people are more conscious that mental health issues exist, but maybe not understanding what they are or how they present themselves. So I'm sure you have seen this a lot. And it's it's probably the main line I see in terms of mental health. And that's, uh, that is that it's okay not to be okay. So we yeah, all, we, we've all heard that, right? Um, and that's a fantastic message. But I think what the problem is in, in that context is that people don't really understand what not being okay looks like. Um, mm -hmm. I think, for example, let's just take depression because obviously it's one of the most significant. Um, if a friend of yours doesn't come out on a Saturday night, people would kind of automatically switch the mindset that, oh, you know, they're being boring or, you know, what's wrong with them that they've not come out. Whereas withdrawing from social social situations is is one of the red flags for for depression. Similarly, someone who let's say stays in bed all day, um, they might be labelled lazy, or that person's lazy, or you've no energy, or whatever. There's there's something wrong with you, but they never think that like these people are the people who might be saying it's okay not to be okay, but then mm. not understanding when it actually presents itself in real life. So I think there's a bit of a, a discrepancy in terms of the understanding around um, what mental health actually looks like. I think the yeah. uh, the awareness is increasing slightly. I wouldn't say it's great, but certainly you know people are more aware that mental health issues are out there and they're not kind of writing them off as they maybe used to 20 or 30 years ago. Um, but in terms of the understanding, I still think that's really, really poor. That's just really got me. I think, I mean, the, it's okay not to be okay. It's yeah. I've actually just to be honest. I've never thought about that phrase that way before about, and I feel very ignorant now saying that, but I think it's better to be honest than not. But like, you know, what exactly, what is not okay. And I suppose it's all, it's going to be very individualized and very personal, but the recognition of what that might look like for your family member or your friend that's actually what's really really important and yeah. actually now that I think about it that's sort of what I've been getting from your content which I think is you know speaks to the quality of it but thank you for making me think about it that way because I think that's such a great perspective to have on that phrase because you're right it is it is so used so much yeah. I've overused we, it definitely. We, we, we hear it a lot like it's it's something that comes up an awful lot and it's the tagline for a lot of mental health initiatives and it's very very true again similar to the anxiety and the facing your fears thing that's that's also very very true but the thing is is that in real life we're not kind of understanding what mental health issues look like and in turn mm -hmm. then that creates its own kind of stigma and its own kind of knock-on effects yeah absolutely i mean i was even i was listening to your most recent podcast episode today um i, I like to have a podcast in my ears all the time when i'm out walking <laughs> but you were chatting about um actually sorry now what was it it's gone out of my head now. Oh my god, that's so embarrassing. As I'm recording this, it'll come back to me. No um, no, what was it? And okay, uh, right. I'm going to ask you that question, and we'll go from there. But it will come back to me because no it's just popped out in my mind. Um, from a health psychology perspective, that's what you did in your. That was your master's, like overall. But was there a specific interest area within that, or is there something that really kind of makes you tick? Um, from a psychology point of view, I have a few kind of niche areas. Um, one is nutritional psychiatry. So, um. Oh wow! How um how nutrition and diet and food um impact our mental health, and also I kind of have the opposite um interest as well in that how our mental health, or not even our mental health, but how psychology can explain um a lot of the food related behaviors, let's say, in terms okay. of you know 
we're seeing an awful lot of diet culture at the moment and obesity epidemic, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, we often associate people being underweight with a psychological issue. And obviously that can be the case, but very rarely is the obesity epidemic put down to anything related to psychology or anything related to mental health. And sure. I think that's a little bit, um, you know, of course it has its, its physical manifestations and there's a ton of barriers in relation to um, accessibility and, and costs and socioeconomic status that relate to the obesity epi- epidemic. But there's also a psychological component. And mm. I think that's one of the things that, that is kind of missed. Um, so I, I love the area of motivation, uh, what kind of drives us to eat certain foods, how uh, different aspects of mental health can impact the food choices we make. I think that's really interesting. Mm. But in relation to my master specifically, it was actually on um, hangover. Um, oh, right. so, so the cognitive deficits um, that are existent in hangover. Yeah. Wow. So there was I no self-experimentation a... there, was there? <laughs> I was my own case study. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I have some quite, I think they're quite niche anyway, because often yeah. when people hear mental health, they think, oh, that's depression, that's anxiety, and then it kind of stops there. Um, yeah. But I think what I bring to my page or what I hope to bring to my page is a lot more of a broad perspective because things like eating behaviors affect everybody. Um, alcohol affects, you know, let's say 90% of people. Yeah, yeah most <laughs> people. Um, so, you know, everybody eats, everybody drinks. Um, people kind of don't regard uh, when they see or when they hear, oh, you're on a mental health page, they think, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's probably some person saying, oh, I used to be really upset and I struggled and then now I don't really struggle anymore and this is my story. But I actually try and stay away from the whole my story thing because I don't think that's important. I want to give a broader perspective of everyday things that affect everybody. So it's not just about mental health disorders. It can be subclinical things like even just struggling with your mood, stress management, all these different things that literally relate to everybody. And I'm hoping to kind of make people more aware that mental health doesn't mean mental health or mental illness or, or mm. having a mental health dis- disorder. That is more than that. Absolutely. Oh, and it's come back to me, actually, what you mentioned earlier was about the fact that we would never consider it abnormal to seek help for, for example, a broken leg. Like, as you said, you wouldn't try and make your own cast. I actually laughed out loud hearing <laughs> that. So I think that is picturing myself trying to make a plaster of Paris cast. But, um, <laughs> but it's so that, true. Yeah, well, it's it's common with uh, with so many people because you know, even if it's like something like a toothache, you're not just going to be like, OK, well, this needs to be filled. I'll guess. I don't know. I'll source some materials yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and similar to like if you're struggling with your diet you'll probably go to a dietitian or if you want to get fitter physically fitter you'll go to a personal trainer or something along those lines Mm. whereas we just don't seem to make that association with a mental health professional and one of the things i'm actually going to make a podcast on myself is um the fact that we don't need to be mentally unwell we don't need to have a mental health disorder in order to see a mental health professional yeah because let's say you're not uh, an Olympic athlete and you're like you're reasonably fit you can still go to a PT you don't have to be overweight or really struggling with your you don't have to be at the depths of despair for your physical fitness in order to go and see a personal trainer and that's the exact same with mental health if you're even you know struggling to manage your job and your and your lifestyle psychologists see all sorts of people as do psychotherapists as do counselors they all see people day to day who who don't identify with having a mental health disorder. They mightn't even have a diagnosis of any kind, but there's still mental health skills that you can learn through these people um, in order to benefit your mental health. So um, I think that's I just think that's really, really important that um, if you go and see a mental health professional and let's say you say it out loud in a public space or amongst your friends, there's often the conception that. Um, oh you must have been in kind of dire straits you must have been very low or at the bottom of the barrel to go and see a mental health professional and it's absolutely not the case I actually saw um, a psychotherapist when I was working in the UK in Bath because um, it was helpful for me to check in with somebody else in regards to what we were doing at the time and it was quite emotionally draining we were doing 24-hour shifts and we were working with teenage uh, teenagers who had a trauma background so like sexual abuse emotional abuse uh, physical abuse and that takes its toll on on me and I didn't like I, I didn't have a mental health disorder. I wasn't in a, a space where um, I needed any kind of treatment other than just to help manage myself better. And yeah. I think it's really important that you don't have to identify with having a mental health disorder in order to go and, and, and see a mental health professional. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you've talked on your podcast and on your page as well, but about mental health as, as a continuum, the same way physical health is um, and about mental fitness. And I think that's just so important. Like even from my own experience, I know last year it was one particularly bad, uh, particularly bad flu season and set of night shifts I did during that time. Um, and I just kind of it was this sort of light bulb moment where I thought I have absolutely no stress management backup. I have nothing, yeah. no techniques here. I have never explored like I will, I know I want to ask you later about apps and things, but like for me, obviously I didn't have a mental health disorder, but I needed to find ways to manage that stress better. Um, and it, it was sort of this new light bulb thing where I was like, oh God, yeah, and you can't just breeze through and think that you're just fine. You know, you do have to work at that and build up that mental fitness. A hundred percent. Like the, these, the things that, that can be offered to you, of course you can learn these things yourself, but it's more difficult for mm. you to learn them yourself than to just ask somebody who really knows what they're doing. Um, totally. Yeah, like it might only be going to a therapist for one one session or going to a psychologist for two sessions and they might just literally like a light bulb moment. You might think, wow, I never tried that. And then that could be you sorted. That could be your stress management technique. Do you know what I mean? You, yeah. They could give you enough tools in a couple of a couple of hours or a couple of sessions or whatever it is in order for you to take that on board and be able to live your lifestyle and, and you know, manage your emotion better or manage your stress better or whatever it is. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, it's absolutely the case. Do you differentiate between mental fitness and resilience? Because I know you covered resilience really nicely in, um, I think it was, was it your first podcast? You talked about bounce back ability. And in my head, I was just sort of reflecting on the mental fitness aspect side of, th or side of things and then resilience and how those two might be interlinked or overlap. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, yeah, the, the mental fitness thing, I don't actually use the term myself, um, mm. but it's, it's, not, it's not defined itself. So if you talk about mental fitness or mental health and resilience, they're not um they're not too they're they're kind of two different things i guess and mm. um, you can feel like you have a really positive uh, you're in a really positive space in terms of your mental health but that doesn't mean that you have really good resilience they do kind of go hand in hand though if you have positive mental health generally you might be more resilient or if you practice things that are positive for your mental health you might be more resilient um so what resilience is is the ability to bounce back from like adverse events or kind of stressful situations but mm -hmm. the thing about resilience that's important to note is that it's flexible so resilience can be higher or lower at any given time or based on on numerous things that are going on for you personally internally or externally and um you can actually build resilience um resilience is something that you can train and uh one of the things that's actually really good for for building mental resilience is exercise um mm. Exercise has been shown to, to increase um, mental resilience to stress. And you mightn't, when people think exercise, they're like, oh, exercise, here we go again. More people telling me to exercise more and, you know, eat better food and whatever else. Yeah. But it actually has been shown that people's reactions in the brain recover quicker. Your brain returns to normal after a stressful situation better after you exercise. So um, wow. that's, that's what, uh, that's important to note in terms of resilience because we need to know that it's flexible. If you're not doing exercise all the time and you do exercise maybe on a Monday and a Tuesday, you might be more resilient on those days simply because you're, you're coping better with, with whatever stress is going on that day. Similarly, mm. if you have a lot of little stressors that are going on all the time, it might take its toll and lessen your resilience on any given day if you have a lot going on. So resilience is flexible, but it's also something that we can train and we can build on. That's fascinating. And I think the way you've put that makes it very relatable. You know, the fact that you think like, it increases your, I suppose, your ability to adapt to those stressors. Um, and yeah, I chat a lot 100%. about, you know, the mindset with stress and how we had a really great, we had a module, like I've only done three months now of health psychology compared to a whole master's, okay. but it was one of my favorite things we did last year. And um, we, we covered a lot on stress and the sort of, um the process by which it affects everyone in a different way and then just one of the lectures we had at a really sort of a nice little equation with stress and she kind of had this stress plus reaction equals experience but the emphasis on the reaction side and the techniques that you can use to sort of build up that reaction side to be I suppose more robust and, and maybe more resilient I guess yeah 100 percent. I think one of the things that I learned in in health psychology in my master's was um, like I was saying, the relationship between your mental health and your mental state and your psychology in relation to your physical health. And a lot of people don't know that it has a massive impact. I'm sure, well, maybe you haven't come across this yet, but you mm. probably will at some point, um, the impact of stress on um, on physical recovery. And one of the kind of landmark uh, or landmark stress stress studies was the wound healing, um, the wound healing study. 
and what they did was they they gave everybody uniform wounds so all the wounds were the same and they measured people's stress and the people who were more stressed it took them 50 percent longer to recover from the same wound with the same treatment than the people wow. who, who had lower stress so there's a massive massive link between your physical and mental health you probably see it as well with ibs Sometimes yeah. IBS is kind of neglected in terms of the psychological treatments, but um, high, being highly stressed and struggling with your mental health can exacerbate those symptoms as well. So there's a massive link between the two. Absolutely. And I suppose to continue thinking about stress, I, mean, I know it's sort of a buzzword now and there's so many books written about it at this stage. And you've chatted a lot about stress and anxiety and the difference between the two and why it's really important that we don't confuse them. Um, and I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little, because I think it is really, really important to differentiate between them. Yeah, like, look, they're very easily confused. And the reason is, is because they both have similar physiological reactions. So mm. if anyone's heard of the fight or flight response, it's that idea um, of, you know, the caveman experiencing um, a threat, some sort of threat, let's say a wild animal. And yeah. he has two options. And the options are you can flee, you can run away, or you can fight the animal and take it on or whatever. And that creates its own kind of response, the physiological response to things like raise cortisol. Um, in your system, the things like a beating heart, uh, you might have sweaty palms or whatever. Everybody knows that kind of feeling. The thing with stress is that it's a normal reaction. So stress actually serves a really important function and it gets a really bad name. Everyone's like, oh, can't be stressed at all. Want to live a stress-free life. It's not It's not possible. We actually need no. stress to function. Um, so the thing is with stress is that stress generally goes away after the stressor is dealt with. So if you go back to that caveman example, if he fights the wild animal and he kills the wild animal, the stress will go away. Whereas go anxiety, caveman. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Or if he runs away and he's far away enough from the animal that it yeah. won't stress him out anymore. Um, but with anxiety, that's sometimes not the case, especially with generalized anxiety. That mm. anxiety feeling can, can continue on. Um, differentiating that between anxiety and stress, uh, anxiety is... Anxiety is the disproportionate feeling of, of worry or fear um, in response to a specific situation. So the key term there is disproportionate. Um, mm. Anxiety is also a mental health disorder. Stress is not. Um, yeah. When we talk about disproportionate reactions, um, I think in my second post ever, I used this example, but I think it's really applicable. Um, for anyone who's ever done an interview, you might be stressed before the interview and the morning of the interview, you might like stay up or you might wake up early. You might wake up at 5 a.m. when you had to be up at 8 a.m. for this 9 a.m. interview. Um, with anxiety, the response is disproportionate. So you might miss a week or four or five days of sleep or you're struggling to sleep for, for a significant amount of time, which kind of is out of the ordinary, let's say. Yeah. And it's that disproportion that kind of defines the anxiety response as well as the mental symptoms so there's mental symptoms symptoms associated with anxiety like rumination um, racing thoughts overthinking um, these kind of things that don't generally um, occur with stress so stress obviously you can overthink and you might have racing thoughts um, but it's not impacting your your day-to-day -day function it's a it's a normal reaction it's it's something that you would consider proportionate to the situation just a question that popped into my head really but do you think we're over using the term stress these days um I think it's got a bad name in that, uh, you know, we, we also live in a society that's on the go all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we kind of have this low level stress all the time. Um, whether that's functional or not is to be debated. Um, I see stress personally as functional. So, you know, going into like a public presentation or going into an interview, people often see that stress as negative. Um, so they might continue that kind of narrative that stress is always a bad thing mm. whereas it actually serves a, like I said it serves a, it serves a purpose um, are we overusing it I don't know I just think we're maybe more stressed or there's more things that stress us out now than there used to be so there's yeah. likely to be more stress um, it probably seems like we're overusing it because everybody's stressed all the time everybody's busy all the time um, but I don't know I think I think it's definitely victimized but I'm not sure if it's overused yeah, no, I agree. I think it is. I think victimized is the, definitely the right word. Like I was chatting, um, I do a weekly radio slot and we were chatting about exam um, season for university students, which is over the next two weeks, which actually includes me this time around. But, <laughs> um, so it's very self-applicable. But I was just chatting about the fact that like, yes, exam season does come with stress. That's just very much part and parcel of it. It is a pressured situation, but it's short term. And yeah. that little bit of stress is actually what you do need to get into that exam and perform. Because if you're chilled out, 
you know, you're probably not going to write your best essay. You know, you do need to have that little bit of pressure on you. Yeah, to it, it actually it switches on your, your cognitive functioning as well. Like it'll increase yeah. your blood flow to your brain and your focus. So it'll, it'll increase those things as well. When stress is problematic, then is when it actually impacts you to the point that maybe you freeze in the exam or yeah. the anxiety related to an exam is, is so bad that you've stayed up numerous nights um, sleep obviously has an important uh, role to play in memory and you forget everything you were going to write so there's it's important to differentiate between positive and functional stress and then that kind of negative stress so if you have stress that has negative connotations on any aspect of your life if it's exams and it's preventing you studying properly or preventing you sleeping well or preventing you performing in the exam then it's obviously problematic and if it's not it's, it definitely serves a functional purpose yeah, absolutely. And you did mention, I suppose, in that post about stress and anxiety, um, some signs people should look out for that might flag if they think that their symptoms might warrant discussion with a mental health professional. Um, I don't know if there's any in particular you wanted to mention or. Yeah, well, there, there's some that we kind of use um, broadly for, for any mental health struggle. Um, mm. And that is that if it's impacting your life or your ability to function, if, for example, that exam thing, if that's impacting your abilities to study, then it might be worth talking to somebody and um, if it impacts your physical or your mental health like we said there's a massive link between your mental health and your physical health if you find that it's exacerbating symptoms um, of a physical health issue it could be migraines it could be something like IBS and um, if it's impacting these physical health issues or your mental health if your mood is low if you are having mood swings if you know it's causing you massive amounts of anxiety that's definitely a red flag and um, if it's impacting your personal relationships or your social life like I said earlier, one of the things with depression is withdrawing from social situations. Mm. Um, so if you're finding that it impacts any of those areas in your life or it's impacting you personally, then it's probably time to, to talk to a mental health professional. That doesn't mean that if you engage in any of those things that I just mentioned, that it's definitely a mental health issue. But the worst case scenario, the best case scenario is you go to the mental health professional. They say, actually, you've nothing to worry about. Here's some better stress management techniques and you go on your way. And the worst case scenario is they say, well, look, there might be something more going on, but they're actually like you're in the best position then at that point to then go and deal with whatever's going on. So I don't think ever going to see a mental health professional, if you're concerned, is is a bad option because you'll either clear your mind and, you know, relieve that maybe tension that's that's always on your mind about am I struggling? Do I need to go and see a mental health professional? You can kind of park that if you go and see a mental health professional. And if there is something going on, you're in the best place to, to kind of make make changes. Definitely. And I, actually, that's probably an important overall disclaimer that like I probably should have mentioned at the start of the podcast, that if people do identify with any of those sort of symptoms and signs that you have mentioned or any that we do continue to mention during the podcast, um, it's really important not to take podcast content or, um, as I've written about recently, social media as substitute for in-person clinical contact. And that it is OK, as you're saying as well, to to take a bit of time to seek help with a professional and that's true for physical health as well I, I say it a lot about the dms and things like that that i get on instagram yeah, yeah. um yeah i'm in I the guess... same boat you like you'll probably see me say it hundreds and hundreds of times in fact my friends sometimes laugh at me about it but <laughs> um i say it all the time like go and see a mental health like i get messages all the time and i'm just like well go and see a mental health professional because i don't think anybody whether you are a professional clinician or not you shouldn't really be giving, you know, diagnostic advice or, or any advice without knowing the full case, without knowing, Absolutely. Uh, you know, if, if, if you're getting a direct message from somebody on Instagram um, that says, oh, I've had X, Y and Z go on, it could be any number of things. So for their sake and for your own protecting your own sake, it's best for them to go and see a mental health professional. And like I said, my friends laugh at me about it because I always say it and people ask me questions and I respond to them on my stories or, or whatever it is. I'm just saying, look, if this is what you're presenting with, if this, these are your symptoms, go and see a mental health professional because they're in the best position. Like they're the experts. So go and go and see them and rule out whatever you're concerned about. Absolutely. And very well said. And if you'd said anything to the contrary, I'd have had to kick you off the podcast. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but if no, it is. It's so important. And it's something that I've increasingly alarmed by. Not so much like, it, like you say, I think it's brilliant to be able to share the content that we do. And it always makes me smile when I hear from people and hear positive feedback. But social media and Dr. Google and all of that, it's just not it's not a substitute at all. It's just totally unsafe to see how much unregulated advice is out there online and how much real world harm that can do. Um, 100%, yeah, 100%. Like, 
no matter how many times your friends might slag you off, I, I mind you the same. Like, I really think we have to just keep saying it because technology is only going to get more and more advanced. But I, I agree with you. I don't think through, like, whether it's a direct message or whether it's an email, you can't, for as a doctor personally, like from a physical health point of view, you can't physically examine someone through an online message. You might be able to take a long, long history, but it's just not the same. And you don't also get that really important and probably sometimes hard to put into words, but that patient interaction and that yeah, connection. Yeah. Like uh, is- the, one, one of the main one of the main things I want to do at my own page is is educate people. But I want to educate people so that they're able to recognize the red flags in themselves so that they're able to recognize their own symptoms and say, look, I've identified with some of those symptoms and then be able to take the appropriate action. The appropriate action often is going to see a mental health professional or going to see a therapist or a counselor because I think if we were all educated better in school or if, if mental health was part of a curriculum mm. where we could understand what depression looks like and anxiety looks like, we would have no need to, you know, Dr. Google or slide into anyone's DMs to say yeah. what's going on with me because immediately you'd recognize in yourself, oh, you know, my heart rate is, is going during the day and I have sweaty palms. I can't really focus. Maybe this is a symptom of anxiety. Maybe I need to talk to somebody. Whereas at the moment, people have all these symptoms. They're messaging me saying, I have all these symptoms and they don't know what it is. And it's yeah. up to me to then direct them further. If anyone messages me saying, I have X, Y, and Z, I never, ever say, that sounds like anxiety. That sounds like whatever. That sounds like mm. depression. I will always say, look, if you're concerned, go and see this person or go and see, go down this route. Because again, like nobody should really be giving out this advice or these suggestions online. No, because it's not, not. Yeah, it's just not. You need to stay in your lane. Like it's, it's, it's. Oh, it's a, it's a breeding ground for harm. I mean, I could this, this could take up the entire remaining podcast <laughs> episode. Honestly, I, it, you know, I'm really glad you share my ethos on it because it really does scare me. And even without that, all aside, we've seen so many, like like I say, particularly from a nutritional perspective, with so many dietary fads and trends, and totally change people's health. And you know, it really does. Uh, it really does make me a little bit scared. So. It's something that I think we'll just have to keep talking about and our friends and family will have to just put up with it. Um, yeah, 100%. I see, I, I, I see it, what, what I see a lot of that, that really irks me is people who don't have, like you probably see it yourself in terms of diet, but people who don't have the appropriate background speaking about mental health issues. Yeah. So um, like pieces of advice that I saw recently being put up was um, something along the lines of eating disorders. And they were like, oh, here's three tips for tackling disordered eating and I was like that's you know eating disorders are suits like they're super complex they take sometimes they take more than one clinician like one mental health professional generally uses a multidisciplinary team you know you can use your doctors and your dietitians this uh, any disorder never mind eating disorders but any Mm. disorder um requires professional you know professional uh, input and then for somebody to post three tips I was like that's just so so negligent so negligent no, i think that's yeah. at some point it has to be either regulated or somebody will get taken to to court or there'll be some sort of malpractice yeah. suit somewhere because you can't give out those advice th- those things those tips and expect there to be no repercussions if somebody tries to diy tackle an eating disorder using three tips they got an instagram story i would massively reflect on why you are seeking help through instagram stories yeah definitely i mean it's it's true it's true all for so many different health conditions like the one that keeps cropping up i think when i put out um things about recipes is recipes about fertility and uh, the same reply every time is that that needs specialist specialist attention and you know i can i'll be a public health specialist in four years time but i won't be a fertility specialist and that person you know, even at that, even if I was, that that doesn't go online, doesn't go in a three tips recipe yeah, post, yeah, you know. And yeah. um, that's, yeah, I really agree with that example. Um, Sorry, we're on a total digression now. But just, <laughs> it's just so important. I really can't emphasize it enough. Yeah. Um, but what I actually really did want to chat to you about as well was, uh, I think it's a post you just did at the weekend about mindfulness. Okay. Um, Which really stuck with me. And it was about, you talked about how mindfulness is neither a one size fits all or a blanket treatment for for all mental health issues and I just thought yeah. that was it was really really um I suppose it's pretty frank and honest but it was really needed um because I think it's something people say oh try this app or try that app and sort of like what we've been talking about it it might be little or do a disservice to the symptoms the person is experiencing so there's a couple of questions I have but first 
I have my own definition of mindfulness, I guess, but could you define what that is for the listeners and the difference between that and meditation? Because that's something that I get asked all the time. Um, but I think you're in a better position to answer it than I am. The difficulty is, right, is that if you scroll through the mindfulness literature for the last, whatever, mindfulness has been around for 15, 20 years, mm. um, there is no exact definition of mindfulness. My interpretation of it, and it seems to be relatively common, is um, the ability to stay, or the, the kind of focus or the, the skill to stay, to stay present and aware of your surroundings and of your own internal thoughts and emotions. So basically, mm-hmm. it's, long story short, it's the ability to stay in the present, to live in the now. Yeah. Um, the difference between that and meditation is, again, super, like, there's so many lines that cross here. But sure. um, my, interpret- uh, my interpretation of meditation, which, which isn't, you know, I'm not a meditation person. I wouldn't um, study a lot of meditation, but mindfulness mm. is slightly different from it. But I, my interpretation of meditation is that it's a focus on, on something. It doesn't have to be on the present, but a focus on something or some concept in order to find some sort of mental clarity. Um, that's my interpretation of meditation. That could be completely wrong. Don't take that as gospel. But the difference <laughs> between that as, and mindfulness is mindfulness is always the, the training or the uh, process of finding, um, finding yourself in the present and you're being kind of uh, focused on your own thoughts and your own emotions in that, in that specific moment. And um, mm. the thing is with mindfulness is that you can have mindful meditation. So you're meditating in order to train that focus on the present. But you can also have in, informal mindfulness. So informal mindfulness will be like throughout the day, you know, saying I'm going to do three things today, uh, three activities today or three events today where I focus entirely on what's happening right now. And that could be like eating your dinner, how your dinner tastes, paying attention to your own emotions and thoughts throughout that process. Could be something as simple as brushing your teeth. What does it feel like? Am I, you know, just stop your mind wandering for a couple of events. Um, during the day and that's the informal mindfulness um meditation is always kind of a formal process um whereas mindfulness can t- take place in, in different different um areas i guess and you were chatting in the post about how much of i suppose maybe the claims is the wrong word but much of the chat about mindfulness and social media is maybe incorrectly extrapolated from a lot of the actual research on mindfulness which is more when it's based in programs like mindfulness based yeah, stress 100%. reduction and that kind yeah, of thing yeah yeah so, you so you might, more on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you might see a title of a newspaper saying, "Oh, mindfulness, uh, mindfulness fixes your I don't know sleep, or mindfulness mm-hmm. uh, helps your it increases your attention by one hundred and forty percent." You know, ridiculous claims. Yeah. Um, the 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 thing is is that mindfulness as a term has many different subcategories. So you have MBSR, which is mindfulness based stress reduction. That kind of has the best evidence base at the moment, but that is a specific eight-week program Mm. um, that follows a certain structure, similar with mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which is uh, MBCT. Mm. Uh, Again, that would have uh, some aspects of cognitive therapy in line with mindfulness strategies, so it's a combination of both. Then you have something like Headspace, where it's not, you know, Headspace doesn't advertise itself as a mental health health cure or whatever. Um, Excuse me. So I think it's important to differentiate the difference between the evidence base and what we see in like the papers or the claims. So mindfulness by itself. Um, so mindfulness strategies, I guess, are obviously part of MBSR, but mindfulness for stress reduction, for example, if you say mindfulness reduces stress, what type of mindfulness is it? Is it informal mindfulness where you focus three times throughout the day on three different events? Mm. Pro- probably not because there hasn't been that depth of of evidence to support that but if you're talking about MBSR well then you can say well this does have a significant effect on stress and um, MBCT you can say well it has a kind of mild to moderate impact on symptoms of depression and symptoms of symptoms of anxiety but again we can't say that it's a treatment because all of these studies seem to seem to focus on um, symptoms. They don't say, you know, clinical diagnostics and the difference in before and after of, of a clinical diagnosis. Um, so what I like to look at it as is a tool. Um, and I mentioned that in my post is that yeah. mindfulness is one tool in your toolbox. If you're, if your ability to stay in the present helps you get to sleep, then great. If it helps reduce your stress, then great. Um, if it helps you stop worrying about something that happened earlier or something that's going to happen tomorrow, then that's fantastic. But it's one kind of tool of a number of tools that can that can help promote your mental health. And 
it certainly shouldn't be seen as a kind of go-to for any kind of mental health issue. Um, what I mentioned in my post as well, and I don't, I'm not hating on any doctors here, but um, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but uh, somebody actually came to me at an event recently and said that uh, they went to their doctor with um, a mental health struggle, and they didn't um, elaborate on what it was, but they said they were struggling with their mental health, and the doctor's um, advice was to um, get more sunshine and download the Headspace app. And I was just like, that's just yeah, such no. such poor uh, such poor advice because. No, it really um, is you know there's there's certain things that mindfulness certainly isn't good for and that's severe anxiety um, and people with trauma experience ptsd um severe grief or any form of psychosis or if you have any trouble managing the thoughts or the emotions that come up during mindfulness then it's definitely not for you and it's seen as a lot of the newspapers kind of see like mindfulness is good for your mental health but what you get in a headspace app or, or calm or whatever app you want to use um, is very different to the structured eight-week program of MBSR and might be very structured to the therapeutic engagement that you get through MBCT. Um, so I don't think they're quite comparable. Whereas mm. if one mindfulness study on MBSR shows a reduction in stress, the headline might be uh, mindfulness creates or mindfulness causes stress reduction. And then in turn, the recommendation is get headspace. So I think there's kind of a discrepancy in, in what the research says and what we're what the idea of what we're getting that's not to hate on mindfulness i use it myself i find it really useful um it certainly has a, a massive function um somewhere i just don't think the depth of research is there to make all of the claims that it's making and what are your thoughts on the apps i know you mentioned you use headspace i use yeah. cam myself um i just couldn't get on board with the accent in headspace and that's not even <laughs> headspace it's just the accent that got me which is really surprising because the cam one is very Americanized, but I do okay. like it. But I'd just be curious what your thoughts are um, on the apps. And I suppose you've kind of answered it in a way, I guess, in that they have their place in a, in a particular context, but aren't a cure. But I'd just be interested to hear your perspective on them. It's kind of like when people ask me, like, what do you think about apps for tracking sleep? And I'm kind of like, well, there's an element of over monitoring, but also it depends what it serves you. I suppose sleep apps are probably not as good as an example. But um, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm totally digressing on my question. <laughs> No, but, uh, I, I, I have a massive interest in, in sleep and the sleep tracking stuff too. But um, in terms of the mindfulness apps, um, like I said, mindfulness, like the idea of mindfulness is to stay present, right? And we know that things like rumination exist in, in some aspects of anxiety and depression. And rumination is um, kind of the, the focus on negative thoughts or the um, kind of, you know, being, drifting away to somewhere that's not healthy for you. And if Headspace gives you, or Headspace or Calm or whatever app you want to use, if, mindful, if the mindfulness tools give you the ability to stay present and focus on what you're doing so that it doesn't impact your life, then great. Um, there hasn't been massive research on those apps specifically. Headspace have done their own case studies, but the quality of the research is not great. Um, I haven't looked into Calm as an app in terms of the, the evidence base behind it, but I came across the Headspace one recently. Um, mm. It's not Look, it's not massively comprehensive, but what it shows is that there's certainly promise. There's definitely, um, you know, unless you suffer with the things I said a couple of minutes ago in terms of what mindfulness sure. isn't useful for, then yeah. I don't think it's any harm. And then after that, it's kind of a case of, does it work for you? If you find it works for you, even if it's placebo or not, then use it, you know, if you find it's it's reducing your stress or helping you sleep, then, then absolutely use it. And I find that myself in that I really enjoy doing it. And it's something that I want to continue, want to do more of um, and get better at it because I think that eventually the evidence will get there. But at the moment, the evidence is like the research is so, so poor and mindfulness in terms of, like I said, even just defining mindfulness is difficult. So Definitely. we kind of have no operational definition, which makes the whole research base kind of difficult to even make progress in, I guess. Yeah, and I suppose that's the problem, isn't it, is that we're so early with a lot of these things that are now part of, like, I mean, they've always been part of a healthy lifestyle. We just weren't maybe looking at them as much. I mean, even I read Matthew Walker's sleep book last year, and um, I think about two months after that, and I'm not saying I was a trendsetter, so many people read it before <laughs> me. It was about two years old by the time I read it, but everyone read that book last year, and suddenly everyone was publishing articles with five tips on sleep, why sleep's yeah. so important. And we were all probably, and myself included, the same people who weren't obsessed with seven to eight hours minimum, you know, and wouldn't would compromise anything for it. Um, yeah. And I say that like I used to, I used to think six was grand. Do you know what I mean? And, and then yeah, you start yeah. to realize, but it's it's just amazing how fast these things are now becoming not so much trends but obsessions in society. I don't know. I'm a little bit fascinated by it. 
Yeah, yeah, so am I, so am I. I think the sleep thing is, is like, for example, in work at the moment, I'm restructuring all our seminars and all our webinars, our workshops, all the offerings that we have at the moment. And mm. one of the big ones I wanted to put a big effort into is, um, is sleep because the difference, so our seminars were first made, I think, maybe three years ago, but the difference in the base knowledge of sleep right now is, is way higher and similar to that of, of nutrition and, and diet and exercise because it's not, not even saturated, but because of social media and the trends, everyone's overly thinking about, about fitness and sleep and diet and all of these different things. And I think the baseline knowledge, even if a lot of it can come from non-reputable sources, people have a massive interest in it now. And whether it's borderline on obsession is another discussion to have. But um, yeah. we definitely see like the baseline knowledge about all of these kind of health topics is so much better than it was maybe even 10 years ago. You Definitely. probably know yourself, like everybody's, everybody's an expert in, in, in even exercise, you know? Yeah. You see, I mean, um, I, I see, was going to say, I, no, yeah, you go, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just saying, you're going to say, you see so many people on Instagram who are self-proclaimed wellness experts and dish out advice on any topic that they have read, yeah. you know, one newspaper article on, and then they're an expert and they go spreading it as gospel. And then, that's where the problems begin <laughs> absolutely I mean I, I suppose I don't mean to be um what's the word maybe facetious using the word obsession but it just it does fascinate me how much more aware we all are of our health and yet at the same time while we're aware of those basics with other things particularly like diet and fitness the extremes mm. are still what's popularized um you know the quick fix side of things it's something that I know as a public health doctor I'll be battling with every single day oh, yeah. in the media but it does fascinate me that we do have this, like you say, there is such a much better baseline knowledge and even people who might not have been interested in health do know the basics now. Um, yeah, 100%. To a certain degree anyway. Like you say, there's lots of environmental determinants that would take a whole other podcast to get through. Um, <laughs> but it does it does fascinate me that we still have that that media myth side and yet we, we all kind of know what the basics are at the same time. Um, I suppose yeah. a lot of that you know, probably fascinates you, I'm sure, from a psychology point of view. But I 100%. think that's why it... I enjoyed health psychology so much because it's about that disconnect between or connect between your knowledge, your thoughts, and then how you actually act day to day. It's really, really interesting. hundred percent. Like you, how, how you think directly impacts your, your ability to, um, to make decisions and, and execute behavior. So I think like, I, I think my knowledge of, of um, behavior and my knowledge of psychology should actually be the baseline. And I know I've done five years of, of education, but I feel like everybody should know what I know. And I, I don't think what I know is even really in depth. Like obviously some of it is the areas that I have a certain interest in. I've gone kind of deeper than, than other things. But mm. if the baseline knowledge was, was even what I know, and I know that seems like a lot, but it, I think everyone should have that knowledge of just understanding how or why we behave the way we behave. Because it has like your, your thoughts have a massive impact on, if not an entire impact on, on how we behave or how we act. So I think that's really, really important. Totally. And I do, I think maybe this is more from a personal perspective, but I do think that's, I know that's what mindfulness has brought me. And I do think it is what has brought, it's it's what a lot of people have taken from it is being able to sort of self-reflect, whether that's in terms of physical symptoms or mental health symptoms, just being able to sort of figure out what is going on with you. And again, it, it translates into better stress management. I just think yeah. from a personal perspective, yeah. but that ability to tune in, I think is a little bit it's 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 quite precious and we probably don't yeah, it's, it's definitely lost enough. like we said everyone's chronically busy so if you're chronically busy you might not even have a minute in the day where you're not either on a screen or, or on a phone or interacting with somebody else or working to actually just check in with yourself and i, I know i mentioned i saw a therapist when i was in uk in the uk mm. and it was only for two sessions right but when in the second session um we talked about mindfulness and, and how it could be used better in the context of my job and we decided that I was going to try a mindfulness bell. And what that did is it went off in my pocket. You can set it for as, as often as you like, but it went off in my pocket once an hour. And for that moment, I would just close my eyes for 10 or 15 seconds and just reflect on how I'm feeling and how I'm doing at that moment in time. And yeah. if I was in a bad place or if I was struggling, that at least I was aware of it and I was in a position then to make changes. And often because we're so busy and we're, we're so uh, wrapped up in what we're doing, we don't get those those minutes in the day to actually just check in with ourselves and see, you know, how am I actually doing right now? And do I need to do something to make myself feel better? Do I need to maybe go outside for a walk? Do I need to get some fresh air? Do I need to call a friend? 
all of these things we kind of miss because we're so busy and it gets to the point where we hop into bed at night still on our phones most of the time but mm. even if we ditch our phones for five minutes that then that's when the wave of thoughts come in and we go wow today was frantic this has gone on for me and this has gone on for me and then we don't sleep and then has its own knock-on effects but like you said those those minutes checking in with yourself and, and making sure you're okay and that self-reflection is really really important in monitoring our, our mental health definitely I think it was a phrase when my favorite yoga teacher said it in the first it was my first yoga class with her Probably, I think it was my first yoga class ever. Um, but she had me from the second. She said it. She was like, give yourself permission to just check in with how you are. Even if it's, if it's for 10 seconds, if it's for 30 seconds, give yourself that, okay, I can just see how you are, what's going on. And then, like you say, you're in a position to act on it. You know, yeah. it, it really is as simple as that. Um, yeah. Now, I was going to ask you about social media, but I'm really conscious that we are after chatting for ages. So I think <laughs> we're going to have to, we'll have to hold that topic for a part two, Joe, because I think I'd love to talk about alcohol and hangover. I think that'd be a really interesting conversation um, and maybe do a little bit more on social media because you did write about social media and whether or not there's research to show addictive tendencies to our phones um, yeah. on my blog. So if people are listening and do want to know a little bit more, that article is there, but I think we'll definitely have to do a part two to chat about that because I think it is yeah uh, I'd, I'd be delighted I'd be yeah it'd be brilliant <laughs> because uh, I know I said my niches earlier on but social media was also one of them that I forgot to mention I love the research on social media and I love going in depth on it so I'd imagine it's quite new as well or at least maybe it, it's it's a little bit like mindless stuff in yeah. that basically because of the recession like nobody was putting money into research like psychology research in 2008 9 10 oh, okay so we kind of had this gap between when social media started and got big and the research is only kind of catching up now. So the research quality is actually really bad. We kind of have to make inferences uh, about what we know about psychology already um, mm -hmm. in order to kind of um, not make assumptions, but what the little research we have and then kind of tie that in with what we already know about social media and what we see in the um, kind of practice based evidence stuff, which is like what we're seeing in real life, what's presenting in front of us and kind of matching them up. So yeah. it is interesting. It's not in. It's not um, where it should be. You know, we're, we probably won't understand social media and the long term consequences for another 10 and 15 years. But yeah. um, there's some really interesting stuff there. Brilliant. So we'll have to hold that for a part two. And I know that'll bring people <laughs> straight back to listen. Um, I just want to say thank you so, so much for coming on. Um, and I know everyone is going to take everyone listening is going to take a lot from this episode. I've been really excited to have you on the podcast for quite a while. Um, and I'll be delighted to do a part two um, over the next few weeks. So do you want to let people know where to find you, what your handle is and your podcast and any upcoming content you want to flag? Um, I know you mentioned uh, an upcoming podcast you're going to do about uh, positive mental health strategies. I think is that what you said? Um, about seeing a mental health professional uh, even if we don't have a mental health diagnosis that's the one I want to yes, get yeah, on yeah, yeah. then I also have another one coming up soon about um, there's a prevention the kind of, I was seeing the long, the long, yeah, the long term um, kind of things that we can do every day to prevent the onset of mental health issues not that you can prevent them 100% but just things you can do to benefit your mental health day to day um, people can find me at headfirst with a zero at the end no tragic uh, headfirst zero <laughs> on, on Instagram my podcast is called headfirst podcast it's on Spotify and it's on Podbean I'm looking at getting it onto Apple soon but um, that's a whole another issue um, <laughs> and yeah um, I have a lot of plans coming up because I'm going away so I'm hoping to put out a lot of content before I go away to make up for the fact that I'll be gone for a few days so um, cool. yeah tune in and you'll see lots of psychology uh, interest hopefully interesting psychology uh, research and stuff like that so well I can vouch that it is definitely uh, thank you so so much for coming on and guys thank you for listening um, I will be definitely bringing Joe back for a part two and if you did enjoy the podcast please do let us know um, you will be allowed to slide into our DMs to give us that feedback <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah just get in touch via Instagram I'm on Twitter as well um, and you can drop a comment on the podcast too and leave us a lovely review as well if you'd like to um so thanks for listening and i'll see you guys next week bye